Amen. And please be seated. I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. You can also find the text for this morning in the inserts inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. This morning we are looking at the third and final section of Peter's opening remarks. You may remember I mentioned last week verses 3 through 12 in the Greek are really one long sentence. This is Peter's rationale and justification for centering our hope on Jesus Christ, especially during trying times. This was true for the church in Peter's day, and it is just as true for us today. And my prayer for all of us is that we not grow tired of hearing of the salvation we have in and through Christ. We're going to look in particular this morning at three different groups. Three different groups who respond to this salvation in different ways. And their response will be very telling for us and hopefully encouraging. And as we think about each of these groups we will visit with this morning, I want you to note in particular two of them looked for a Christ to come. That is, they looked for Christ before his arrival, the prophets and the angels in particular. And that does not change the message. It is the same message we offer. It is the same message given from the beginning to the end. One book, one purpose, one hope and plan of salvation across the prophets, across the preachers, and across the angels. With that in mind, let us turn to the Word of God and hear it for ourselves. This morning I'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, and I'll read through verse 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he place the truth upon all of our hearts and bless the hearing of it. May we now go to him in prayer and ask that he do this thing that we ask. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you this hour. We have read from your word, and I pray that those words may not be empty, but may they be filled with life-transforming power, power to change hearts, power to submit ourselves to you, Power to live differently, to live boldly in a lost and dying world. Power to face trials and temptations head on, for we know our Redeemer lives. The only way this power will be ours and will be in our life is through the Holy Spirit speaking and living in us. And so I ask, O oh Lord, that you would awaken our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your word. That you would empower me, your messenger, and you would empower all of us as the hearers to receive it in grace and in truth. 
And Lord, I pray that you would do that which you've set out for this passage, this day, and for these people. We pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. One of the themes that Peter will develop in this letter as a, as a consequence of his commitment to Christ is there must be in the believer an absolute awe of the gospel. There must be wonder in the gospel. And that's true for the new believer as well as those at the end of their life. That is true for those in seasons of plenty and true for those in seasons of lacking. That is true for those in seasons of health and those in seasons of sickness. In all areas, in all circumstances, Peter will encourage us again and again in this book and in his following letter to be amazed by the gospel. An unfortunate reality for many believers is the truths that they heard as children or young believers can sometimes lose their shine as they get older. The zeal seems to wear off as people get busy with living out their faith and carrying out the day-to-day tasks. I'm not saying that people don't care. It's simply they don't always seem to have that childlike eagerness that they once did. You can liken this to our taste buds as an interesting phenomena that takes place when you eat something. It's always those first couple of bites, isn't it? That strong flavor hits your mouth that, that really excites you and, and you, you find yourself going, this is the best thing ever. Wow, what flavor. Wow, what taste. But then you get toward the end and then it's really kind of almost an activity. It's something you're doing. I encourage you, try this during, during the lunch meal. Pay attention, careful attention to those first few bites. And then if you can, pay attention toward the end and see how your mind and your taste buds shift as your body gets used to that which is coming in. That doesn't make it less beneficial. That does not make it less enjoyable. It's not because you have suddenly become disgusted with that thing. It's simply we've reached saturation For many people, sadly, this can be the same with the gospel. And Peter does not want the church and the Lord does not want us to relate this way to the idea of salvation. Especially since he's emphasized, and in particular in 1 Peter 1, Peter has emphasized our living hope comes from the life, from the death, and from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live because Christ lives Because he offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. And this morning, to encourage us to renew our taste, to encourage us to renew that sense of wonder, our text gives us three different perspectives on salvation. And as we consider each, may the Lord use these perspectives to renew our love for him and the salvation we have in Christ, which is new each day. The first perspective we will look at this morning is through the eyes of the prophets. The prophets looked forward to the salvation of Christ, and we'll find this in particular in verses 10 and 11. The second perspective we will see this morning is through the preachers. The preachers are tasked with delivering the good news of the gospel to people. We'll find this in the first half of verse 12. And then finally... 
we will see a heavenly perspective. The angels, the angelic host. And the angelic host look on at awe, in awe at the wonders of Christ. They're also mentioned in verse 12. Wonder and awe fill them. Prophets, preachers, and angels. Each give us a fresh perspective on the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Let us consider each beginning with the searching of the prophets. And Peter makes sure that we understand that this is a continuation of his previous argument. Um, He says, beginning this section um, in verse 10, concerning this salvation. And because he uses that language concerning this salvation, we need to go back to what he just said in order to rightly apply what he's about to say. And what has he said? He has said this, Salvation is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is a mercy of God. We find that in verse 3. It has been paid for by Christ and is imperishable, undefiled, and waiting for us in heaven. Verse 4. And the trials that we face now, because of our hope in Christ, serve to strengthen us, grow us in our love of God, and ultimately work in us the salvation of our souls, which is the outcome of our faith. Verses 6 through 9. This is the work of salvation, a mercy of God bought by Christ, empowering us, strengthening us, creating love in us, and helping us to endure trials to the completion of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. That is the salvation to which we speak. It is not a cheap salvation. It is not a salvation wrought by man, but by God. And that is the reason he now speaks to or of these three groups. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now let's unpack this for a moment to fully see and appreciate what's going on here, what Peter is saying about the prophets. Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, question 24 asks, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? And it answers... And revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Now this specifically is addressing how Christ fulfills that role. But if we take that apart, we hear a little bit about the role of a prophet itself. The prophets revealed to the people God's word through the Holy Spirit. And specifically... The will of God for salvation. So the prophets revealed God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. Their role to foretell. And we have a whole section of scripture, the latter third of our Old Testament, dedicated to the prophets. We divide these into two groups, the major and the minor. Um, please, just as a, as a side note, don't hear that and think minor as in lesser, um, unless you're saying minor as in they wrote less. The major prophets, their books are longer, think Isaiah. The minor prophets, their writings are shorter, think Zechariah. And 
to uh, give the list. Uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those books. And then the minor prophets, the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. It's really hard to say that list and not sing it as I, I learned it in my head. There's a wonder, putting things to music is great for your memory. But these books in particular, making up the, the narrative, the story of the prophets, they contain God's messengers delivering God's message to God's people and to the surrounding nations. Sometimes this message is a message of hope and encouragement. Other times, it was a message of judgment for failing to keep the law of God. Unfortunately, and, and quite too often, this was the major theme. But in every case, each prophet spoke truth and looked toward the Savior to come. The message they proclaimed, and I'll speak with broad brushes since we're really talking about a large portion of Scripture here, would be something like this. Trust in the Lord your God and in Him alone and you will be saved. Repent, for you have turned against the Lord your God, to whom you owe allegiance and love. Remember how God has saved you again and again. If you but will repent and return to Him, He will forgive your sins and heal your land. Sometimes it was, judgment is coming. It is coming upon you, for you have forsaken your God. And this judgment will be complete and will destroy you, but the generations after you will turn their hearts back to you. Notice a theme in these statements. The prophets preached a message of judgment for rejecting God and hope and peace for turning to God. We could define this another way. Faith. The prophets preached a message of faith. Have faith in God who has saved you and has rescued you. We could even say it different, a little different than that. The prophets preach the gospel. Trust in the Lord for your salvation. It's the gospel message. It was just simply a message for the one to come. The Messiah is coming. The rescuer, the redeemer, the defender, the protector is coming. The minor prophets, I believe, do an excellent job of of speaking to this. In, In two major themes you find throughout the minor prophets, the day of the Lord and the coming avenger. The day of the Lord and the coming avenger or Messiah will bring God's people to himself and will avenge Israel for the sins committed against her. And who they were talking about was Christ. They were looking forward to Christ. They spoke about him. They longed for him. They were preparing the people for him. This is why Jesus goes to the Old Testament scriptures with the disciples to reveal himself as they walked upon the road. That in the New Testament had not been written yet. But Jesus goes to the Old Testament to show people himself. They spoke of his sufferings. We think of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. They spoke of when he would come. They paved the way and prepared the hearts of the people. Or at least that's what should have happened. Many rejected the message and thus rejected the Savior when he did arrive. It's one of the strictest condemnations against the Pharisees. The Pharisees of all people should have seen it coming. They should have known 
what would take place. They should have been there ready and willing to receive the Savior. And woe is their judgment for knowing the truth and hearing it not. I would say that we are a blessed people today. We are blessed in many ways, but as New Testament Christians or Christians post-writing of the New Testament, we have a clearer message. We can understand Christ in a way that the Old Testament prophets could not. And instead of utilizing prophets who foretold, who looked forward, in this epic in church history, we use preachers. It is their task to deliver the good news of Christ. And so as we've looked at the longing of the prophets as they looked forward to Christ, let us now turn to the preachers who are to actively proclaim Christ. And as he transitions, Peter reminds the people that the prophets were for their benefit, the benefit of the people, not the benefit of the prophets. If you remember, most of the prophets were threatened with death, were persecuted, were treated poorly because of their message that they proclaimed. And in some ways, you, you look at the message they proclaimed and you, there's no wonder that they were treated poorly. It was pretty harsh, but it's what they needed to hear. Peter says, It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, the church. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. We today are receiving the blessing of the prophets. We, as we can see the fulfillment of what they've said, reap the rewards of that which has been spoken. And in particular, it is the task of the preacher to deliver this message to you. It is our duty to proclaim to you the good news of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing clarity to the scriptures. Peter says to the church, the message of the prophets is about Christ, the Christ to come, and he has been announced through those who preach the good news. And I want us to focus on two aspects of, of the, the role of these preachers according to our passage because, to be frank, they're the only reasons that I can stand in this pulpit on any given Sunday. First, the preachers preach the good news. They do not preach their own message. It should not be about us. I know stories can be helpful as an explanation, but it's why, personally, I am trying to less and less utilize my own history, my own past, the stories of my life. Because the last thing I want to do for you is emphasize me. You have taken time from your day to be fed by the Almighty God. We must take this task seriously. We must weigh our words carefully. There is not a day that goes by that I don't realize one day I will give an account for everything spoken in the pulpit. And as someone who has been preaching for 16 years now, I've got a lot of words to give an account for. And not all of it is going to be pleasant. For far too often have I considered myself first. It's not my message. It's the message of God. That's where the power comes from. This is where the hope and the help comes from. 
It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the good news of Aaron or anyone who stands in this place. And as much as you need that message, I need it more. And so, a preacher is called, we're commissioned to preach the good news. And that we must do. And the second aspect of this message from the preachers is it's by the Holy Spirit. We who preach do so through the Spirit's power. We pray that the Spirit would work in our lives to open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to the Word of God. And we mean that for us personally, as well as us as the congregation. And this should excite us. This should make us want to listen. As far as God is granting me to be faithful to the text, you are hearing the word of God today for you. Christ the Redeemer, August 15th, 2021. This is God's message for you today, ordained many, many, many years ago that you would hear it. And it's given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who works in our hearts a longing and desire to pursue the gospel is the same Spirit who works both in the minister delivering it and the people hearing it. Not exactly a sermon, but as Peter sent this letter in sermon-like fashion, it would have gone forth in power because it had the seal of the Holy Spirit upon the writer or speaker as well as the readers. It would have contained the ability to speak into their lives and meet them in their current situation. And for some of them, their situation was quite dire. Remember, we're speaking to a dispersed church. I can say this in full confidence this morning. You need this specific message today. You are here today to hear this message because that is God's will for your life and for mine. And I will, will say this after what I just said. Um, anecdotally, um, one of the beauties and one of the challenges of being a preacher is far too often as I'm delivering the word of God, I'm listening to it, and I will convict myself of the very words that I'm speaking because I'm not above them. And that car ride home can often be a very long car ride as I'm having to hear myself preach to myself. And God is saying, now Aaron, you just told a room full of people and a bunch of people online that this is the will of God for their life. Now you need to hear it too. The message is true because it is from God. And the last thing I'll I'll say about the preacher is this. My constant prayer for you is that I not get in the way of this message. I do not want the message to be diminished because of my life, because of my preparation or my delivery or lack thereof. You deserve the very best of God. And so on a personal note, if you would like to know how to pray for me as your pastor, please pray that I do not tarnish the gospel by my life or by my actions. And if and when I do, in love, I pray that you come let me know that I might humble myself and sanctify myself, that I might better be able to deliver this message. That is the beauty of the position that I am in. And I thank you for those who do this in love for me. But it is that message. It's the message that brings the hope. 
It is the message that offers the truth. It is the message that we need. And if this wasn't enough, if, if looking to the prophets was not enough and, and looking to the preacher was not enough, we have one more section, we have one more dose of awe-inspiring wonder, and that is to see that the angels respond to this salvation. The angels respond to this good news. Would you look with me at our final section, the, the latter half of uh, verse 12? Peter concludes these remarks by saying the angels long to look into these things. And I ask you, why would it be important to persecuted Christians in persecuted churches in dire times to hear that angels enjoy watching what God is doing? How is that a benefit and blessing to the church? Well, let me tell you three reasons why it is. First, it expands the scope of the matter from our local lives to a global scale. It's very easy to get tunnel vision when we endure trials. And sometimes we have to. We become completely fixed on a situation in order to get through it. However, as Christians, we need to remember that we have both the church at large and even greater, the heavenly host on our side. We're talking matters of eternal significance. We need sometimes to zoom out to see the big picture and appreciate what's going on. Paul reminds the church in Ephesians 6.12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our struggles, our difficulties, our trials are just evidence of something going on at a cosmic scale. Satan and his host of minions are frequently tempting you to sin, trying to draw you away from God, and trying to weaken your witness. Peter mentions the angels, so the church is reminded to see the bigger picture. The persecution of the church is just one of the final skirmishes before the ultimate victory is declared. The war is over. We read part of the book of Revelation last week, and if you go back and you're in that um, section around like 17 to 20, it's a very one-sided victory. Jesus wins, it's over. That's the war. He is victorious. He is the conquering king. And that should remind us and encourage us where we stand. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side of hope. We stand on the side of the one who by the very word of his mouth declares it and it is so. And he does so with the backing and the power of the heavenly host. Secondly, the reason the heavenly host should encourage us. The angels that fell into sin were not saved and instead condemned. When a third of the heavenly host, led by Satan, rebelled against God, they were cast from heaven. Christ did not come for them. They awaited Jesus' second coming and their ultimate judgment. Look at it. Go through the Gospels. When demons interact with Jesus, they know who he is and they know what he's about. What are you to do with us, O Son of God? Our hour has not come. They know... He has the power and the ability to speak them into judgment. And they recoil from him. They wonder, the angelic host, that God saved 
humans when God had every right to condemn them just as he did the fallen angels. This should encourage us believers. God chose to bring salvation to his people. Mercy instead of justice. That's not fair to say. Justice was served. It was served through Jesus Christ. And that is remarkable. And angels are in all of that. Thirdly, the third reason that the angelic host should encourage us. The act of salvation is so great that even those who spend their time in the presence of God stand back and wonder at it. Consider this. Angels are not privileged to the entirety of God's will. Imagine. Imagine being a heavenly being and witnessing Christ leave heaven. Him choosing to leave. Saying, my time has come. I'm getting off the throne. I'm going to enter their world. I'm going to enter their humanity. And you as a, as a heavenly being, a created being, sent by God to glorify Him and to proclaim His goodness, and you're like, whoa, whoa, oh, okay, that's different. But then imagine the heavenly beings having to watch Him grow and suffer and lack and face difficulties and trials and sadness, things that He's never faced before. Christ had it all in heaven. He spoken and it was. He lacked nothing. Even on earth, he had the ability to call 10,000, thousand angels all but at his whim and they would come to him and minister to him and provide everything he needed. And you wonder, what is he doing? Why would God do such a thing? And then imagine watching the heavenly host as he willfully and dutifully marched to the cross carrying it himself, opening not in his mouth, not defending himself. Imagine being the heavenly host going, don't you know who he is? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what he's capable of? Where he came from? And imagine watching him die. And then three days later, rising again, coming back, victorious, conquering, having offered himself his own blood as a sacrifice to the Father. And then, just a few, several weeks later, ascending into heaven. And he's back. And he comes back. And he says, now we've got work to do. Angels, hear me. We're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray on their behalf daily. I'm going to intercede for them daily. And not only that, we're going to get to work. Construction starts now. We're building a place. We're going to bring them here. Can you imagine the, the heavenly host who live in a perfect heaven with a perfect God and they look down onto humanity and you've got to imagine they look at Jesus and go, really? We've got a good thing here. Like, that's what you want to do? And he says, yeah, that's what we're going to do. It should not surprise us that the angelic host go, wow. God, you, you must have this figured out because this is different. But you're God. Oh, the glory and the celebration. We know through the gospel that when a lost one comes into the fold, the celebration and the joy that happens in heaven as the angelic host and, and all the created beings cry out glory to God. Holy, holy, holy is he. For he and he alone could save a people such as us. That is what the church needed to hear. That's what the church needed is here as they went through difficulties and hardships and trials. Dear Christian, that's what you and I need to hear today. 
So in conclusion, I ask, what should we do with these three perspectives of the gospel that we've heard this morning? The prophets looking forward to the Messiah to come and speaking of Israel's need to trust in God and God alone for their salvation. The preachers proclaiming the good news through the strength of the Holy Spirit and accord to God's word. And the angels looking on in awe at the powerful acts of God. Well, Lord willing, as we continue in 1 Peter 1, we will see the only consequence, the only logical conclusion is our lives must be transformed. Our lives must be changed in light of this message. It must be different. And it will. We should live every day, every moment in light of this gospel news. It should encourage us and strengthen us to face everything that is before us. The gospel is that powerful of a message. And for those of us who are trusting in it for our salvation, remember, he's worked a wonder in your life as well. A wonder so great that the heavenly hosts sing and celebrate and stand in awe. You have gone from death to life. Consider the weight of that, dear brothers and sisters. You were born again. And so let us celebrate the good news of the gospel every chance we can get. And may it never lose its flavor. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God. You have promised us in your word everything we need for faith and for right living. You have promised us yourself an eternity with you. An eternity in your presence. Yes, we will face trials and difficulties and hardships here on this earth as individuals and as a church. Yes, some of those may be severe and it may cost some of us our lives. But oh Father, I pray that you would give us a cosmic perspective that we would put everything in its place and realize and recognize that we are but a part of a history of God's victorious people enduring waiting patiently loving deeply with meekness and with self-control the coming of Christ oh how we should long for that day until it comes Give us the wisdom to search the prophets. Lord, be gracious to myself as a preacher and help me to prepare and deliver the right message that it be a benefit and a blessing to your church. And may we stand in awe as the angels stand in awe at everything that has taken place. Lord, we thank you for this work you've done in our lives. And we pray that you use it for your glory. And in Christ's name's sake we pray. Amen.